It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. In today's show, we're talking our final group of draft prospects, Cam Whitmore, Jordan Walsh, Marcus Sasser, Chris Murray, Lennon Miller. It's all coming up. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble, on TikTok at RedRock underscore Beeble, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. This episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On to get started. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. So we're here to discuss these draft prospects. Remember, live draft show Thursday, 22nd June, 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll go live on the YouTube channel. I'm going to be joined by Matt Powers of Swish Theory today to discuss these prospects that we haven't gone through yet. Uh, Whitmore, um, Sasser, Chris Murray, Jordan Walsh, and another opinion on Leonard Miller. So we might as well bring him in. All right, here he is. First time on the show, Matt Powers. Welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Josh. Happy to be here. We are a couple of days out from the NBA draft. We've got a, I've got a couple of prospects left that we need to cover off so we get through all of these guys, and you are here to do that with me, um, with these five guys we're going to talk about. But just a quick question before we get started. And with the previous draft analysts, I've asked them you know, who their top five players are, but we're not going to go that route with you today. I want to ask you a player that's sort of off the radar for a lot of other draft people who might be sitting in their 70s or 80s, an undraftable player, who you think is probably more likely a, a second-round guy or a guy that might be able to make sort of some sort of rotational impact. Like, who's a guy that people should just keep an eye out for that maybe they're not seeing on uh, other draft boards? Yeah, a guy I really like um, is uh, Justin Mutz from Virginia Tech. He's, you know, an older, I think, fifth-year guy. Um, but he's kind of has the prototype of what you'd expect for a, a more, like, lauded player in that he's 
you know, uh, I think six, six and a half in, in um, his socks, um, seven foot two wingspan. He's like pretty explosive getting to the hoop and dribble it a little bit is a really good passer, especially um, finding cutters. So for any teams like running delay sets or just kind of running a lot of quick reads, you need a big kind of wing out there who can, you know, get some stocks for you, pass a little bit. Um, he hit a lot of mid-range jumpers, so it's kind of like an open question whether the, the corner three will get there. Um, but I think he has a, a pretty compelling case. Um, I haven't really seen him in, in many second rounds, but he's around 40 for me. So I, he's my my top pick well, for that. That is high because, yeah, I've seen him on a few big boards, like at 75 and 82 and yeah, 89. Okay, look, he, part of the reason I... I saw him and when you said his name I was interested because A it's a great name Justin Mutz is a fantastic name so I love that I love getting good names into the NBA but also like yeah the size is really interesting and he is an older player as you said but like there's always going to be those random players when we get towards the middle second round who aren't going to work and there's going to be undrafted guys who definitely are performance it's always good to get those other names in there because often we can uh, skip over the guys who don't get drafted and then they end up making more impact than the last 15 guys picked in the draft anyway let's talk now about some players Five guys we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about someone who you are a little bit higher on than consensus. And I just did my mock draft 3.0 yesterday. And I actually dropped this guy down and I felt really bad about it because I had him quite high. I had him at number 10 in my previous one. I dropped him down to number 15, but I couldn't actually find a good argument as to why I did it. I think he's really good. I think he's getting underrated in a lot of uh, a lot of circles. And that is Leonard Miller of the G League Ignite. Now, Leonard Miller probably should have or could have gone in the first round last season, um, reclassified, went to the G League Ignite, put up, look at those numbers there. I know they're per 36 up on the screen, but 20 and 12 in a pro league, a steal over a steal over a block, 54% from the field, 63 true shooting. Yes, the three-point shot's not there. Um, why, you probably don't know the answer to this, but why is he just not being talked about as a, as a lottery player? I, th- I think he is. <laughs> Yeah, that's a very good question. He's around the end of the lottery for me. I, I think just first of all, on the production level in the G League, as I think he was the second youngest player, um, mm. just just slightly older than another player on the G League on on the bench um, on London that they had. But he, if you look at all the the twenty three forwards that were twenty one and under, he was above average for basically every statistical output. He was um, scored really good rebounding. He's got he's really ambidextrous. Um, I think the most notable thing for him is he kind of came in last year being mostly a point guard in Canada and like kind of a ball handler at at six nine. Um, I think he's grown some over the last year, but he obviously not going to play that next to Scoot Henderson and the ball handlers that have an ignite. Really adapted well to be kind of more utility big role, um, doing kind of whatever was asked for him and was really productive, really efficient. Um, I'm not sure what else you could really ask for him that he he didn't answer this year. Um, so yeah, the shooting's not, not it's, it's not quite there. Like 30% from threes, it's it's not great. That's probably the big concern. But yeah, you're right. Like he can do a bunch of different things. Do you think when we look at him transitioning to the next level to the NBA, that let's say he's a four, right? Let's say his position is a four. Is he more likely to be a four who can play out on the wing, or a guy that plays as a small ball, or not even that small, but as a center? Yeah, pushes more big versus more yeah four slash three. He's a he's a power forward for me who can bring the ball up a little bit. Um, yeah, his shooting. He was kind of changing his shooting motion throughout. Um, the season, I think that low release point has definitely scared some people since he was the ball handler was the pitch um, before if it's not going in and it's a low release, not super encouraging. 
Um, but I think his touch is really excellent. So I think he can get some action closer to the, to the basket. He shot uh, 73% within the restricted area on seven attempts per game. So I think he can really mix it inside as, as a power forward who can kind of run some like dribble handoff sets, just can kind of make some good reads. This just the turnover ratio was pretty solid. Um, he was pretty good in like short floaters. Um, I, I think he can, I, you, you know, you want five decision makers out there on the court, especially like in the modern game. I think he'll be good at, you know, just like setting screens, finding shooters, um, getting to the hoop quickly. So yeah, he's not, a, it's not a clean cut positionally. Um, but I think he's, you can slide him in a power forward, do a few guard things, do some big things as well. When we look at him, do you think that there is like, I've seen mock drafts having like 28, 27, like, which seems crazy to me that there's some of the guys that are going ahead of him. But do you think there is still a concern with some areas of not even necessarily draft punditry, but maybe bigger sites or, um, I don't know, I don't want to say casual fans, but, but other people putting in this information out there that they still don't know how to adjust to the G League program. We've had, you know, what, six or seven guys, I think, come through the G League program. Daniels, Kaminga, Jalen Green. Obviously, we're going to have another three, probably first-round guys, maybe first-round guys. I'm seeing C. Soko drop to the second round in some mocks at the moment. I'm going to have another two guys come in, but do you think it's just a lack of data? Because this the G League is a professional league. The quality in the G League is, I believe, without question, better than what you see in college basketball. And he's put up these amazing numbers. And yes, the G League's a different scenario because they are, oh, the Ignite, sorry, is a different scenario because they are not necessarily setting out to win games. It's about development and getting these guys ready. So maybe we take something there. But how much do you think is just that people go, oh, well, I'm not watching the G League. It's not college. I don't know how to translate these numbers across. Yeah, I, th- I think accessibility is a bit of an issue. Just like people aren't getting up for the G League games like they will for March Madness yep. or even like Wimby in the playoffs, you know. Um, I-, I think... Um, also, like the stats accessibility is not great. I really wish the NBA oh my God, worked it's better terrible. on that. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> we have to sort by like regular season plus showcase mm-hmm. for the G League guys. Um, but I, I think there's a decent case. Uh, my buddy Nima, who actually worked with G League last year, he said he thinks Leonard might have a case for best statistical output for any prospect they've had. Like the only rival being Jalen Green. And like, I, I mean, he's been kind of productive all over the place. 60% true shooting around there um, steals blocks. I'm not, again, I, I, I really struggle to see why this guy, I think maybe he's just seen as kind of a safe utility guy because when you go to G league, you really have to play a professional role quickly. So maybe if he was in college, he'd get a chance to showcase some of that, like that versatility um, that you kind of saw in high school. Um, so, so I think maybe people are just like putting him in a little strict of a box um, so far. But yeah. Yeah, I think I think, and it's going to get be even more of a problem with uh, overtime elite coming through and understanding how to sort of um, judge those guys as well. Just pathways that we haven't seen. Like this is you know, a three-year situation here with the G League and overtime elite. Obviously, just in its second season, now it is going to be hard to judge. We're going to get back to a guy and, and talk about in a second who you are a little bit lower on than consensus. Before we do that, though, today's episode is brought to you by Better Help. We all, all have stresses in our life and things that we have to deal with, and it's easy to get caught up by well, with what everyone else needs from you without taking care of yourself. But you can't actually help people unless you are in a position that you 
are in a good spot. And taking that time and understanding how to set boundaries is part of what therapy can do. You don't have to have undergone a massive trauma in your life to benefit from therapy. It's just living through the stresses of everyday life, family, friends, colleagues around you and understanding how you can help yourself to be able to help other people as well. It gives you those tools to find more balance in your life. So if you're starting, of, uh, thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a therapist who fits your needs. And if it doesn't work out and you don't have that rapport with your therapist, you can switch therapists without any charge at all. And finding that rapport is a really key thing there as well. So find more balance with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go there, get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's give a reality check to someone. We're going to Villanova. We're going to Cam Whitmore. He is a top five, top four, top three, top eight prospect, depending on where you look. He uh, looks the part. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. Um, apparently has no idea how to pass the ball. And I have concerns. I did my, again, I did my mock draft yesterday. I actually bumped him up higher than I thought I would. But what my big caveat was, I, I don't know the prototype of a player who has like a 0.5 assist-to-turnover ratio, who just never sets up anybody else. I don't know when that player's ever been successful in the NBA. Is that your issue here with Whitmore? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a major one. I, I, I just, I struggle to see it all together. I think the big red flag beyond the 0.5 assist-to-turnover ratio is he only drew, his free throw um, rate was only 0.25. So drawing one free throw for every four field goal attempts. So just, again, for like the tank of an athlete that he is and such a dynamic athlete, um, you know, maybe Villanova didn't run enough transition to get him in the right opportunities. But even still, that's a lot lower uh, rate, especially, you know, on a fancy basketball podcast, speaking about him getting easy points. um, I, I think. I think the lack of passing kind of restricts that that driving lane a little bit. And also he's, while he's a crazy athlete, obviously off two feet, he's incredibly explosive, powerful. I would not like to be in front of him on uh, in front of the rim, Um, but he's not the most nimble turning directions. His handle is kind of um, simplistic. He has his like pet moves of going to his left and doing his, his step back there. So I just am worried as the competition level kind of increases quickly um, the, the defensive rotations, I, I wish were a little bit better. There's a lot of just like places I'm not super confident in the guy for being considered top five pick. There's a lot to unpack with him, I think. And I still, I don't really know how to view it. We haven't really had this level of prospect come out of Villanova before. And most guys who come out of Villanova and are successful are guys that have been there three or four years. Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart. Like they're probably the three most recent ones that come to my mind. But they were like three or four year players who didn't come in as high profile recruits, didn't even come in as high profile draft picks. Like Bridges was the highest of those at pick number 10. So we've never seen this level of player. He also dealt with a thumb injury early in the season. Um, 
the fact that he's such an aggressive and strong and athletic driver, the fact that he doesn't draw free throws is a big concern. Part of the reason why he translates so well in terms of my fantasy and dynasty rankings is A, he's young. Like he's one of the youngest players in this class, probably up there with Naji and uh, Kalabali outside of um, uh, Gigi Jackson, like in the top five youngest players in this class. The steal rate is gigantic. The three-point volume was over nine threes per 36 minutes. Um, and uh, the efficiency is not bad, 57% for a busted thumb where he was the number one guy the team all that's really good but again how does it all translate into into real life the the bad free throw rate is a concern the poor assist again i don't know when i think of those players i think of like nasir little this high level um prospect who came into college and just never could do anything like that now obviously they're not the same player or same athlete or anything like that but that's the the scary part about it when i look at that sort of an archetype of player this big wing who bullies guys and then when he gets to a different level like he just sort of disappears Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about, like, I, I've seen some comparisons to, like, Jalen Brown and his prospects, mm. but, like, all the things that we're, like, still complaining about Jalen yeah. Brown not developing are the things that are the glaring concerns for Cam Whitmore, and Jalen developed such a, like, incredible mid-range, like, shot-making that Cam doesn't really have yet. He's really a either rim or three-pointer, like, prospect so far. Um, I really hope it, it works. He's, like, he's incredible to watch. He's so, like, explosive. Um, I do wish uh, Villanova ran more with them to see what that looked like. Because, I mean, you watched someone like Benedict Matherin last year. If he put in that exact same scenario, just getting downhill over and over again, I'm sure he's going to put up the numbers and the free throw rate will be higher. But as far as a guy who's kind of more of an all-encompassing, like, all-star offensive player that he's kind of being mocked at, I, I just don't quite can't quite get there. Part of the reason I had him at number four yesterday in my mock draft was uh, a potential and ceiling upside. Like I don't actually have him as the guy that I feel more comfortable with in terms of at four on my overall board. I think he's a little bit lower, but in terms of like, if it works, right, everything's there. Size, shooting upside, defensive upside, um, strength, speed, athleticism. Look, it's, it's all there. I don't have that confidence in the hitting, but for certain teams, I just go, well, give me the guy that might be the third best player in this class versus a guy that maybe tops out as the sixth best player in this class, even though I feel like 90% confident that sixth guy is going to be better. But hitting that upside potential can be more important for certain teams. Do you think he does have that potential to be like the third best guy in this draft or you don't even see that with him? Um, I I can see it on, on like an, an upside scenario if he, if he puts it all together um, for sure. But I mean, just as far as like, risk reward scenario someone like azar thompson i i think i'd rather take a bet on someone who okay. i think has really high feel for the game and like really strong passing instincts um even if the shot's a little iffier um i just i, I want someone who i can can trust out there and i i just I, yeah i could see it all coming together but it's it's fuzzy right now yeah no i i understand that and i've gone back and forth with him quite a bit like i could see him like and i think outside of the top two for me the next like six guys maybe even seven guys if they go in any order i'll go eh, maybe i'd do that maybe i wouldn't but i don't think it's gonna be the wrong decision how far down do you have whitmore like is he outside the top 10 for you he's at the end of lottery for me so okay. he's like i'm even though like there are some like amazing fits for him just because of like his high risk, high reward profile. Like I would love to see him in Detroit playing off of Cade and with that yep. speed. Um, so I, even though that wouldn't be my pick, I could still see that working out and him rounding out a top eight, like a good, I can see him being a decent starter. Yeah. 
for, I, for a good team. I had him at I had him at Houston in my in my mock yesterday, mm-hmm. just giving that sort of yeah, again that elite athleticism with uh, Jalen Green and you know, the defense of Jabari Smith next to him and behind him. I think that fit would make a lot of sense. But again, I'd be totally terrified of it not working out because of the the reasons that we've uh, that we've spoken about. We'll get into three more players after this. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fangel. The NBA playoffs are done and dusted, but Fangel's got odds and markets for so many different sports. Baseball is full go at the moment. It's in full swing, actually, which you know, we've got to use baseball puns as much as possible. There's no better place to get in on the action than Fangio, which is America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to fangio.com slash locked on to join today. They've also got odds and markets up for the NBA draft for rookie of the year up already. I think their one at the moment is Victor versus the field and Victor's like a minus 150, which is insane odds uh, to take the field at a plus odds, but it is Victor Wemanyama. Don't miss your chance to snag a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join Fangio today. Go to fangio.com slash locked on to sign up. Vangel is an official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks are used with permission. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm glad they use with permission. All right, let's talk about uh, the next guy who I am. I am quite low on this guy. I was low on his brother. I am low, much lower on Chris Murray uh, out of Iowa. I think that there is there are a number of things that maybe you can assuage me of these concerns or you can you, you can confirm my biases here. I was much lower on, on, on uh, Keegan. Chris is his twin brother, but to me, it is a, I don't know if it's a red flag, but it's close enough where you go back to school in in, in a year like this, where you could have come out last year in a weaker draft, been picked higher, but you go back so you can, not stat pads, not necessarily the right word, but like now it's my turn to have the ball when you couldn't get that role off your brother because you are, I think, a worse player than him. The shot fell off, only 34% from three. He's going to be 23 by the start of the season. Yes, there is value in him as a prototypical small forward, power forward, who does shoot a lot of threes, who maybe can defend a little bit. But I just think that there is absolutely no ceiling on what he's able to, not even no ceiling, an extremely low ceiling on what he's able to provide. The red flag is going back to college and coming in as a 23-year-old rookie when he could have come out at the same time as his brother. And he would have been a top 20 pick, I think, without any question last year. There are people, though, who will say, like, yeah, pick him top 16. He's just a solid role player. He's a guy that can go out there and you know he's going to be good. But I, I don't see him being this value guy. I think you can find so many of these players that, we talk Leonard Miller. In four years' time, Leonard Miller is going to be the same age as Chris Murray, and who knows where he's going to be. So I just think that that level of development—he didn't show me anything in college that makes me go, "Yeah, well, this is going to be unbelievable. I can't wait to see what he he brings." I just, I'm just not, I'm just not there with him. I actually dropped him out of my first round yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I'm not super high on him. I was much higher on Keegan. I had Keegan, I think, top six or so, and I feel like pretty good about that. But like the the differences in where they're not quite twins is, is pretty relevant. I think where Chris, it's not just like this year his shooting has been worse, but if you go back, if you look at, um, I really like they, they both played a, a post-grad year at DME Academy mm. and they just took a ton of shots. And so it's a really good shooting sample. And Keegan was like, I think high 30, three point percentage compared to Chris low thirties. 
Um, just kind of like very consistent resume of there being a difference between the two. Um, as far as the shooting ability, I think Keegan's a better like athlete inside in particular. Um, not only did Chris have, have fewer dunks, but also just finished dunks at a lower rate, which is kind of a little bit of a red flag for that final burst to finish um, plays where you're already in a good situation. Um, Keegan was like an unbelievable transition player. He kind of like broke graphs last year. He should um, la- Yeah, he had last year, uh, another stat for him, Keegan had 121 transition possessions at 1.5 points per possession, which is just unreal. Chris, 95 at 1.1. So again, those like, those really the strengths for for Keegan where you can trust him immediately on the court and just let him take however many threes per game as you want, let him handle a little bit of the interior um, responsibilities as a four man, like switch like guard up and four. I don't think you can trust Chris as well. I think Chris maybe is a little bit of a better passer and a little more more mobile, but just overall hasn't put up the same. I don't think the same level of defensive numbers either. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you as I. I see the the value as like an eighth man, um, but don't really see the, the consistent starter upside that that Keegan has shown. The way, and correct me if I'm wrong on this map, but the way that Iowa sort of ran things is like two years ago, like everything was Luca Gaza, and then it's like now it's Keegan Murray's turn, uh, now it's Chris Murray's turn, and those numbers, like you know Keegan's numbers that year before he went off, were really low because they just didn't feature him. It's like, well, now it's your turn, go out and do something. And when you're given that chance for it to be your turn, and the numbers like they're fine. But they're not like Keegan averaged what like two blocks or two steals per thirty six or something like that, and averaged like twenty six points. Like, they were insane numbers, and these are just if he wasn't Keegan Murray's brother, the numbers that he's put up here at age twenty three, to me he'd be like oh, he'll go pick fifty, like he'll go pick forty five. But because he's Chris, and I, I felt gu- guilty with this, and I, I felt pray to this, I guess, at one point. I said, pick 24. Like, let's just take him to Sacramento. The twin connection, they're going to need someone there, depending on what happens with Harrison Barnes. Maybe he can work into being a fifth starter. But I don't know. I feel like there is a bias associated with Keegan that gets attached to Chris because, well, Keegan did this and he broke the rookie record for threes and um, we've got a recognizable face and a recognizable name that does give him maybe a 10, 15 spot boost. Yeah, I would be very surprised if he came close to, to breaking a three-point shooting record, um, for example. I, I, I do think he's a, a good role player. He's oh, good yeah, at a lot yeah, of things, agreed. yeah. He's like, he, he'll be an NBA player. Um, but yeah, it's talking about like top 20 or, I mean, it's a little cute to, too cute by half to have him next to his brother in Sacramento and just not um, how I would use the pick, I don't think. Yeah, I, I moved him right out of that top 30. Um. In terms of this overall draft, I don't know if you've even got an, an answer or if it's as simple as this. Uh, to me, the way I've looked at it, and there's been a lot of guys that I would have taken early second round that went back to school, probably six or seven of those guys. So to me, there's probably, I can say 40 guys who are probably first round sort of players, maybe like 37 first round players. And then the rest of the draft turns into guys, oh, I'm not even sure you're a second round sort of guy. Is that how you see it? Where I think it's a really strong draft with maybe 20 lottery type talents, maybe 40 first round type guys. And then there's this big sort of drop off where I get to pick 46, 47. I go, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you're bringing me here. Like what, what are you actually giving me that's good? Do you see it that way where this is big strength up top and then it's nothing afterwards? Yeah, I, I think there is both strength in the top and the lottery, I think is quite strong. I think where this draft is particularly strong is like decent starter backs bets. I yep. think the top I think the top twenty or so, I think there's gonna be some really talented players that fall into the second round. Um I, I think overall depth is not as great, like towards the end of the second round, maybe. I think we might still be seeing just some kind of like sea change. Um 
like one-time um, benefits at NIL, like they're, mm -hmm. they're still kind of transition as people are figuring out how much the purses are there, um, encouraging people like the fringe guys to go back. Um, but yeah, if I, if I were drafting this draft, um, I would want to be 25 to 35. I think just like value wise is, is my favorite spot. Yeah, I, I agree. Like that's how I see it. It's all, it's very different to some other drafts. I think like next year you'll see that maybe there's no real top five outside of maybe a Ron Holland, but there might be yeah a bunch. It extends out really, really well into the yeah, 40s or 50s where these guys are the 50th guy next year is better than the 50th guy this year, but you know the 20th guy is equivalent to the 30th guy in this year or something. Obviously way too early to get into that. Let's talk about a player who did stay in the draft as a young player out of Arkansas, another Arkansas player. That is Jordan Walsh, the 19-year-old wing. He's six foot seven. He's probably going to go early second round. Um, very low true shooting, 28% from three, very low usage. He is a defense at this point, Matt, defense only wing. That is really valuable, but is there any hope? Like, is this Andre Robertson? Is this, um, Matisse Thibel in terms of lack of offensive respect that the other defenses will give him? Right. I mean, there's a risk that he's those player. I mean, like that, that that's the maximum level of offense. Um, but I think the defense is worth enough um, is valuable enough and at least the signs of of what he's been able to put together that I would be happy at the end of the first taking a risk on the offense. Um, in high school, he got a chance to run some more like transition stuff. His handle was a little bit better than you got to see in Arkansas. I mean, the, the spacing was poor partially due to him. Um, but he kind of just kind of uh, sat in the corner for them. I think he could do some like dribble handoff his his decision making needs to improve a little bit but i think he does have some passing talent he didn't quite get to show um but it's really the the defense that's the calling card i think he has i i tweeted this that he has like battier-esque <laughs> signs of technique really in my mind like his his recovery techniques he, he has basically everything i want for a, a wing defender he has both long strides he's very active he like sniffs out actions early um, he's able to chop steps. He has really accurate hand placement on strips. Um, I, I think the one thing is he was a little over aggressive. I think he like took a lot of pride in this role and um, bit on a few extra pump fakes than he should. But other than that, um, I think he, he like when you're looking for a shutdown defender, I think this is the type of guy you you, you um, take a swing on. The Arkansas team is really interesting for context because we can come out and say that you know the, there was a lack of spacing, but. The, you know, the, when your three top prospects on their team, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, and Nick Smith, and Nick Smith is a shooter, but he didn't shoot well, where they all contributed to that problem. So you go, oh, okay, if they're on a different situation with other guys. Uh, let me throw that the other way at you here, Matt. We talk about this guy being this uh, elite defender, and, and I do believe he is, but he's also paired with another guy who some would argue is the best defender in this class, perimeter-wise, not Victor Wembanyama, um, in Anthony Black. And say, so, like, is there... Are those two synergistically bumping each other's value? Well, if I miss him, you'll get him, and you miss him, I'll get him, and then you're working in tandem um, with these huge, like huge bodies playing the, the the wing and playing at the point guard, and you know that you're both there to cover things up. Whereas, like we can say that the spacing impacts all these teams shooting and their offense, and it's all oh, because the team didn't work well. But is their defense not overrated? Because I, I don't think it is. I think he's really good. But is there a level of security knowing that hey, I've got these other guys here who are unbelievable that are going to be able to help me out as well? I, I think. I mean, if I look at the construction, one thing is you wish you had they had a, a little bit stronger of a, a big in the middle. Yeah. It's like a kind of a traditional, like a, a, uh, they had Makai Mitchell starting most of the year, who's not too great of a, a roller on offense and like an okay. I think he's more like six nine, six ten than like a true 
big. Um, so like obviously in the NBA setting, um, I, I think I would trust Jordan Walsh like out in the perimeter to kind of take his own assignment. I, I, it's a tough question about like how they combined on on defense. Where I, I think Anthony Black, I don't I don't see him as a shutdown defender in the same way as Jordan Walsh. I think Anthony Black's really just kind of good at at um, just being in the right space and his wingspan's not the same as as Jordan Walsh's like seven foot two or seven foot three. Um, Isn't Black so like I, a six eight or something? It's, it's really small. I think six eight. Yeah, yeah. It's only like plus two, I think. Um, so I, I really like Anthony Black's defense, but he's more just like whittling away inch by inch. Where Jordan Walsh is someone who can like terrorize a single opponent. Like he's the type of guy where in, in the playoffs there will be. I think there'll be few like more valuable defenders than him in a few years. Like honestly, I feel that strongly. Let's let's go on to the last guy we're going to talk about, and it is an older player that a lot of people know because this team was one of the top teams in the NCAA, and that is Marcus Sasser from Houston, 22-year-old guard. He's he's short. He's six foot two. There's no getting around that, but he did bomb a lot of threes, hit over three threes per 36 at 38%, 60 true shooting, 26 usage, high steal rate as well. Is he just one of these guys that is obviously really productive in college, um, the shooting is super valuable, but the overall lack of size is just going to limit the end result NBA upside. Like he's not good enough to overcome that. He's not that level of a shooter to overcome that. He's not that level of a playmaker that he's always going to be set in. Like maybe you are a 10 year backup and really valuable at doing that. Or is there more to it? Like we've seen these undersized point guards who go later in drafts or undrafted in the case of Fred Van Vliet, who are able to turn, you know, tenacity and shooting and ability or willingness to pull up and bomb from deep into a very, very productive NBA career. Where do you see Sasser in that size constraint on him yeah i mean sasser has a ton of green flags just statistically you mentioned the steal rate i mean he took a, a ton of threes the last three mm-hmm. years he put over 13 threes per 100 possessions each of the last three seasons ton of mid-range um i i think what's really strong with marcus sasser is he can kind of reset into his shot in an instant like even off his his handle isn't the most advanced on drives but he's really well balanced he's got good stride length he can like get from his like his oblique angle and a drive to to up front to to shoot really quickly um i i think those things will um convey really well i mean at at six two i i think there's not that much scarcity for what he provides um i don't know i just think of someone like a peyton pritchard can do a lot of the similar stuff that he can he's he's a good defender but he's not really a def- like a, a difference maker i think i think he's a good nose for the ball and he, he's strong um and a good passer but again not really a difference maker more of just like a safe steady hand with the ball so it's a little bit of a tough proposition at 6-2 to just have pure shooting guard to get a lot of volume up but a ton of shooting volume is really valuable and i i trust um the way that he gets into shot will be the same way it will translate really well into the next level i think part of the way that someone like malik beasley's been able to make a career in the nba is just jacking threes at every opportunity like you know 10 11 threes per 36 similar to sass's volume the difference is beasley's what six five six six and even if he's not a good defender which he isn't he's big and he can be out there and have that size to guard those guys where if sass is not um a guy that can run an offense and then has to be out there like with another point guard, then you're in that situation where maybe you've got two smaller guys. How, who guards who? How does that fit? So the skills, like, give him three more inches, and he's probably a top 20 player who would have come out last year, I would say, given the, the numbers that he put up and the value in that. But that size and that lack of playmaking um, combination just sort of puts him in a spot where it might be, it might be strong, but 
it's just hard to see it working in the NBA it, at at the level that you probably think those numbers should translate to. Yeah, he and and um, Chris Murray are kind of the similar vein for me as like early second round um, swings that I, I can see very like reliable bench players that on some team will know exactly what they're getting with them. Um, so I, I don't hate the the proposition, um, but just as far as upside goes, that's not someone I'll, I'll have super high. What do you make of him, say, compared to... I'm going to go with someone, like I said, Malik Beasley, but probably, I, I don't know if this is true, but the, the biggest bomber in terms of 3.10 per 36 in the NBA is Isaiah Joe, who really does struggle defensively, but that value of being out there, just I am launching and they are going in at an insane level, and he found a great role last year in the Thunder. Could Sasa ever like be that sort of a guy who's just that unashamed to shoot him and they go in that you just have to have him out there at times? I think Isaiah Joe is kind of rare in how little time he needs to get his shot up for someone that was available that late in the draft and that he's he's so perfectly suited for the off-ball role. And if he does dribble, it'll be one or two max. When Sasser kind of just, I think the longer, I, it, like I love the Houston system. He really learned how to play like defense the right way and like a really rugged um, overall like attitude towards the game. But he does, does in, in the college system, get a little more time to get into a shot. Um, would, you know, I, I don't think he'll be as seamless of a fit as Isaiah Joe just on any team where he can come in and just bomb away. Um, he'll need a little more of, a, of an offensive focus to do so. Joe's also six foot four, and he's also the same yeah. age currently as what Marcus Sasser is. So you've got that going for him, and he definitely shouldn't have gone at pick 49 in that draft, which I'm, uh, I'm sure most people are well aware of. Now, Matt. That'll bring us to the end of the show. Tell people what's going on for you, what you got uh, happening over the last couple of days here before the NBA draft. Yeah, so as the editor of Swish Theory, I have to plug our work. Um, you can see us at Swish Theory on Twitter or theswishtheory.com. Um, we have a board coming out soon ahead of the draft, um, a lot of content about all things basketball, so check us out. And I, I don't know if you're responsible for this, but whoever does the graphics and the color scheme on Switch Theory, I love it. I think it looks awesome. All of your like oh, graphics and the the way it all it's awesome. I just I love that 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 purple Appreciate color it, scheme, yeah. the logos. It looks sick. I, I don't know if that's you or not, but it looks it looks unreal. I love it. It's I love how it looks. Team effort. Yeah, I got to shout out uh, Ross Pinsler, our SEO guy, for that. So yeah, it looks absolutely fantastic. The site and there's a great bunch of information over at Switch Theory. Matt, thank you for coming on the show and discussing those uh, prospects with me. It was great to have you on. All right. Thanks so much, Josh. And that will do it for me today. Tomorrow is going to be my final mock draft. All 58 picks. I'm going to go through all of them. I'm going to probably do, I don't know, I don't know. I'm probably going to do what I would do and what I think will happen. I don't know that I'll do that because it is hard for me to get that information. So we're going to do all 58 picks. We haven't done a second round of the mock draft yet. That'll come tomorrow. And then we head straight into the live NBA draft show. Follow me, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Odyssey app, and here on YouTube. You know what to do. You thumb it up, you leave a comment, you ring the notification bell, and you subscribe. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.